It's February 28th, 2010, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Before we begin our interview, I wanted to welcome the many new listeners who have recently discovered the show. It's exciting to have you as part of our growing community. I have received several emails from those of you who want to be able to access shows that are not listed in the iTunes Music Store, and I wanted to let you know that all of our shows are available for download through our archive which you can find on the blog at thecandorframe.com. It's located on the right-hand side by scrolling down a bit. Every episode, warts and all, can be found there. I also want to encourage greater involvement with the Candid Frame Flickr group. And beginning this week, I will be including a weekly post showcasing an image from the Flickr feed on the Candid Frame blog. I think it will be a great opportunity to see some exceptional work and create greater awareness of the many photographers from all over the world that listen and support this show, so keep an eye out for that. With some recent changes I've made on producing this show, as well as the Photocast Network Focus Ring, some of my costs for producing these shows has gone up, as well as upgrading space for bandwidth and storage. To support both shows, I've also invested in software and hardware to help improve the audio quality of the programs. I don't currently solicit advertising for these shows, and so for the time being, these costs come out of pocket. So I've created a donation button on the Candid Frame blog in the hopes that some of you will show some of your support for the show by donating funds to offset these costs. So whether it's 5 10 or $20 or even more, your contribution will help me to ensure that the programs I provide can continue to improve and grow. So please take the time today to make a contribution. It's greatly appreciated. Today's guest is Jeff Tunis a commercial, editorial, and fine art photographer who has amassed an amazing collection of exceptional work as well as contributing to the photographic community. Beginning with his work in Playboy and later his own published books, Jeff has explored the beauty and artistry behind the human form. But not simply relegated to one genre of photography, Jeff has also made a mark in the world of portraiture, which included a stunning series on blues performers. And more recently, Jeff has been the founder of the Palm Springs Photo Festival, one of the most exciting events to be found anywhere in this country revolving around photography. With presentations from some of the world's best photographers, technicians, and educators, this week-long festival includes portfolio reviews, workshops, and presentations from photographers such as Douglas Kirkland, Joel Meyerowitz, Ed Cassie, Jock Sturgis, just to name a few. If you attend nothing else this year, this is the place to be. I hope to see some of you there, but for now, sit back and enjoy our conversation with Jeff Dumas. Well, welcome, Jeff, to the Candid Frame. First off, I, I want to cr congratulations on the exhibit that's opening tonight. Thank um, you. 30 years of work, that, that's amazing, huh? How do you feel about um, showcasing, you know, a, a, a live demo work? You know, it's... Uh... <laughs> I don't know. When I read that, it seems like I'm reading that about somebody else. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's possible that I could possibly be presenting work that was done over a 30-year period. And, uh, and and I still, I'm in sort of this mid-career phase where, you know, I'm just in my early 50s and I can 
anticipate another probably 15 years of pretty serious work. Uh, and uh, it, 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 you can't believe when you see 30 years. It's, it, you know, when I it, I can remember going to somebody's show and seeing 30 years of work and expecting a geezer of you know like 80 years old to show up, and not someone like me. It is pretty odd, I have to say. What were you imagining when you were first picking up the camera when you were a kid? Because I, I I think you started when sure. you were in high school taking pictures of, you know, of girls and, and and things like that. What were you sort of imagining? Did you did you even think that of a career as a as a photographer, or was it something you were just playing around with? Well, you know what happened was I I mean the minute they put a camera in my hand, it 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 felt like something that was going to be part of me forever. It just seemed magic. It. Uh, uh, you know, I, I sort of intuitively knew what to do with it, and I and I understood the process to the extent that I could at least uh, begin. You know, uh, in those days, you didn't have a. I mean, I was only eight or nine or ten years old or something. So I had a friend down the street, and he was involved. He got interested in photography around the same time, and we used to sort of compare notes and uh, you know this and that, compete against each other, sort of in a way. And and uh, you know, you you self-taught in those days. The uh, you know young people today are rarely self-taught. For, for perhaps because they don't need to be self-taught and maybe it's better because you know had i gone to art center i probably would have come away uh, i would have saved 10 years off of my learning curve you know uh who knows you wonder to know but uh it certainly was something i understood right away i knew that it was going to be part of my life well you started your early career at at playboy penthouse and, and we how did that how did that start how did you transition from you know being a self-taught photographer to working you know, for a mag for a magazine, particularly Playboy, that had such a huge circulation at the time, and such a um, well, you know what? It was one of those magazines that was really on my radar. And obviously, I think all of us young fellows were had Playboy on our radar in those days. But the reason that it was on my radar was it was uh, it was the one magazine uh, that could give a photographer a portfolio of six to eight pages. You know, I also at that same time was was promoting my my work to Time Magazine and Newsweek and TV Guide, and I and I actually started working for those magazines. But there, you would go out and shoot for a whole day, and you'd get a quarter page and get paid uh, two hundred dollars if you were lucky, and it would be a little tiny picture, you know. Uh, and it it was hard to see how that could add up to anything at the time for me. Um, the interesting thing about Playboy in those days was, you know, if I could get a story in Playboy, not only was my name there, but I'd have six to seven pages sometimes. So, and not to mention that I loved photographing women, and that was always my first interest, I have to say. I mean, you know, photographing women was always something in my core. It was something that I loved to do. And uh, I've always, you know, that's been a, a mainstay in my, in my work over the, the last three decades. It really is probably the largest body of work I have. Um, but that being said, it was it was uh, that that was the reason. The, my my actual thinking at the time was how to get something uh, enough stuff published that I could put in a portfolio and get more work. So Playboy seemed like a good option versus some of the other magazines at the time. And being that I was out in California in L.A. in in those days in the 70s, L.A. was sort of going out in the field for these New York-based companies. You know, they looked at New York sort of like Nebraska. I mean, L.A. rather like Nebraska. You know, it was it was out in the hinterland. And, you know, there was very few of them that had L.A. offices in those days. It wasn't like today where, you know, L.A. offices are, are sometimes the tails wagging the dogs, you know. And so but the Playboy had a studio and an office out here. So it was, it was accessible to me at the time. 
and uh, these other magazines, you know, Time Magazine had an office, so that, again, that's why I would pitch them pictures, and TV Guide had an office, but, you know, the main office for TV Guide was in Radnor, Pennsylvania, and the main office for, you know, everybody else was in New York, so there wasn't uh, that much opportunity to be physically present to, to the photo editors and magazine editors, like, you know, as if I had been in New York City. So that was another consideration. What was the relationship like with the editors of, of, of Playboy in terms of the design and the styling and the and the way that you created your, your photographs? Was is it was it really collaboration? Was there a lot left to you nowadays? Well, the, the beautiful thing in those days for me was it was totally autonomous. You know, they never sent anybody along a shooting. I never did any work in their studio. I just went out and did it on location, all my stuff. So... It was an interesting uh, autodidact kind of process. I would find a model that I wanted to photograph and submit a picture of her, and if they approved, then I would go out and find a location, go out and create the pictures, submit them, and sometimes they'd say to go shoot more. But, you know, in general, I was kind of on my own to learn as I went. And uh, I have to say, working at Playboy, in the, you know, as a, as a guy uh, 19, 20, 21 years old, it was a, it was a real interesting experience to be, to be getting paid while you, you were on the job, you know, learn on the job. It was really interesting. The, uh, the idea of going out under locations, going into homes, lighting situations from outside the house in or lighting within the house and, and, and you know, really had to teach me uh, the fundamentals of how, how, I, uh, how I was to be able to light women in the future. And uh, there was no school, and I don't even know if in school they would have had, they would have been able to teach me those kinds of things. Uh, what those the, the things that I learned in those days have stayed with me my whole life. I've, it's always been, you know, at the base, at the core of, of of lighting for me. It's it's understanding light and really looking at it and really being able to to replicate daylight at will, you know, and master the idea of using uh, mixing light sources and those kinds of things were things that I had to teach myself in my early twenties. Well, with Playboy, there was a sort of a, an idealizing of of women, you know, and, and for a large part, it was catered to, you know, sort of the fan, the fantasy of of what a beautiful woman can and, and and can look like. But when I look at your fine artwork, there there seems to be a obviously a respect for the beauty of women, but there's a sensibility that's very different from what I would expect to see in Playboy. Did that start developing the entire time, or? Is that something that over time you sort of refined as you've as you continue to work with the nude? Well, I must say, I mean, to give you a perspective, I worked with the with them from the time I was nineteen till I was about twenty two or three. That's when I quit, and uh, the result was uh, well. The reason that I quit was number one, I, I really, you know, in my mind, I was shooting photographs that were uh, really my way of, of perceiving women and of course as a, as a I was a young man who was the same age as my models basically and I and so there was a different way that I approached photographing them than some of these older guys at the time you know they had Mario Casilli and Pompeo Posar and these guys were in their 50s and 60s there you know and they were shooting these 18 year old girls and, and I was the same age as those girls so I was photographing them the way they appealed to me which was a much more respectful approach and uh, I think uh, I understood the women much better um, and that showed in the work because they, they you know, I, I always thought a woman looked really beautiful without makeup, you know, wearing an old man, you know, like a man's dress shirt, nothing else. And, and that, that to me was what I, what I was seeing in my daily life with women that I knew. I wasn't seeing women walking around in matching garter belts and stockings with hairdos and painted nails, you know. 
and I was up against this this approach that came from uh, uh, core values of a guy born in the you know uh, in the twenties who was living in Chicago. It's Midwestern mentality of a guy who was 40 years old at the time or whatever, you know, 45. And I came, I always had conflicts with them about it because I would submit pictures that were definitely not what they were looking for. And, you know, after a couple of years, I started photographing the women my way for me and marketing them independently to magazines around the world. Uh, I did that for a year or two. And then I produced my first book because I I became very unhappy working in the context of a, of a magazine for men in the first place. I realized that it was completely contrary to the way I approached the subject. And I wasn't interested in sexy pictures, which is fundamentally at odds with the magazine I was working for. Uh, I'm, I'm much more interested in the beauty of a, of a woman, a female form, and I'm much more interested in, in finding an, a unique approach to, to, to photograph their bodies and their, and their uh, you know, and it was more about the body. It was more about the, 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 the negative space, the positive space, the light, the way it fell on a woman's body, things like that that always attracted me. It wasn't really the idea of photographing a given subject like Betty or, you know, or, or Sue. I didn't really care about that. So I started marketing my own work in book form as early as 81. My first book came out. It was called Captured Women, and it was a book that was published in 1981. And, and, and in those days, the only other book I think that there was at the time of, of, of nudes that was out, um, high-end coffee table style book, I guess was, was one Helmut Newton book and a, and a, you know, like a David Hamilton book or something. I was pretty early. And, and so I did the first edition of Captured Women. We printed 120,000 copies in hardcover in six languages, which, you know, by today's standards is, is, is totally out of the ballpark. You couldn't conceive of a thing like that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I did. I, I achieved that amount of success with my first book, so I stopped working for anybody and just started photographing the women the way I wanted to, and trying to find my own way, you know. And produced two other books in the early '80s of my nudes, and then decided that I really had explored that subject about as much as I could, and started working much more in portraits and documentary photography. And, and tell me uh, about tell me about that transition because by that time you were known for a particular type of work. Was it fairly easy, or was it a real big challenge to sort of establish yourself in a different market, considering the body of work that people might have known you for before? Well, it it was not easy at all, I have to say. I mean, uh, it it took quite a number of years before people uh, were able to see me differently, and uh, it it was never my intention. I never wanted to be a photographer of nudes. That never really even was in my mind. It was a subject that that greatly appealed to me on my terms, doing my way of doing it. Uh, but it was definitely not at that time. People wanted to pigeonhole me as a guy that photographed nude women, for example. And that was never what I what I did or saw myself that way. I always was doing other kinds of photography, but and I always saw myself in a larger sense as a photographer. And uh, for me, you know, growing up in the '60s as a young guy, uh, looking at the work in Life magazine and Look magazine and Geographic, and looking at uh, you know, and Playboy and others, they were all mixed together in my mind as, as, as what a photographer was. And I didn't want to just photograph women for magazines. I really wanted to photograph, go on assignment and photograph uh, all kinds of different things and people and places. And, you know, there was no, there was no sense in my mind that I was ever going to just do one thing. And, uh, and, you know, that's carried through my whole career. You know, I've always worked independently on a multiple discipline, uh, disciplinary basis. And I always felt that that, that made me who I was. It made me, 
you know, the unique person that I hope to be. And, um, and, I, and I think I've been able over time to master different disciplines. And that's the exciting thing about photography. That's the sense of achievement for me. It's, uh, you know, the, continuing to do the same thing day after day after day and use the same kinds of, uh, you know, you fall back on the same kinds of, uh, you know, visual vocabulary would be b- burnout time in a very short period of time for me. You know, and, and yet I, I, yet I've often told students when, when they ask me about that, I've often said, listen, I don't know that you should emulate me. I don't know that what I did was the fastest approach to, 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 uh, you know, to success in photography. I think around me, I noticed all of my career, the guys that stayed with one thing and just hammered it forever got, got more successful much sooner than I did. You know, it was hard to, to determine who I was. I think when I would go and show photographs, uh, to an art director or a client, for example, you know, if I showed them more than one body of work, I always noticed that they just glazed over and they didn't understand what they were looking at. And and at the end of the day, if, if somebody was to really look back on my career and say, what was Jeff Dunis about as a photographer? It's going to be that he, he, he had different disciplines. He approached photography differently for each discipline, and that was where he he was unique. You know, I mean, I, I think that's it's something that only became clear to me later in life. Um, but I couldn't do without it. I, there was no way I would want to just do one thing. I, documentary photography is a great passion of mine. I've been, you know, my book American Pictures. You probably have seen, maybe not, but that's a that's a book that is entirely around a whole sense of documentary work that I I love photographing like that. And uh, I have a new one that's being put together right now called American Pictures Color. And uh, I've I'm, I'm I've been a inveterate street shooter. You know, I've been shooting street pictures for 25 years, and I have a book that I'm preparing on that. And that. And I'm just as excited by that work as I am about nudes or, 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 or celebrities or anything else. The, uh, you know, the 10, 12 years that I'd spent photographing celebrities uh, is what people seem most uh, excited about. You know, people go, wow, you photographed all these famous people. That never meant anything to me either, to be very truthful with you. It was interesting to do the portrait work that I did, but I never, I, I didn't, the, the celebrity side of it didn't really mean anything to me. It was interesting that my subjects were well known, and to some extent, that that does uh, add a layer of interest to the to the portraits that I made. But I always considered that again just another process that I was in. It, it, it didn't seem to me like I want to be a career celebrity photographer. Yeah, when you look at your website, you see the incredible diversity of your work, and I think a big part of of your career involves a lot of self assignments, personal projects, which is. One of the focuses that I'm I'm I'm, I'm emphasizing this year. Um, tell me about you know these personal projects. Let's start off with the State of the Blues that you did starting in '94. How did this you know the idea come come to you, and what was involved in producing that work? Well, let me say this just a, just as a way of beginning that discussion. It you know these personal projects. I, it's not like one day I woke up and I said I want to start ten personal projects and be independent and create my own self assignments. It, it came about quite quite you know naturally because I I wasn't able to get the kind of assignments that I wanted. You know, initially, for example, I would go to uh, I, I went to Rolling Stone and I went to some other magazines that I had worked for and said, "Hey, I really want to do a series of photographs of bluesmen, you know, blues musicians." And and one after the other, they would say, "No, nah, we're not really interested. Blues isn't really our thing. It's not really happening." You know, Rolling Stone said, "Oh, you know, three or four years ago, Albert Watson did a did a five or six page essay on blues musicians, so we're not really interested in that." And you know, I I couldn't make them understand that not only was was that something that I really was going to do, whether they gave me the job or not, but also these guys were disappearing. 
And whatever Albert Watson did four years ago had nothing to do with what was happening at that point in time because, you know, in four years, Muddy Waters had died, Howlin' Wolf was dead, there was a bunch of, you know, there was people disappearing from that, from the pantheon of great blues musicians. And it wasn't about uh, repeating what Albert Watson did or, you know, in the case of other magazines doing uh, stories that, you know, they weren't, they weren't going to drive their their bus so to speak you know it was about this is something you need to do this is something you should be aware of this is the base of all the music that you report on all these musicians that you're featuring they all learned their chops from these guys so you know are you serious or are you you know it's like you want to do pictures of, of pink floyd and you don't care about about blues musicians i don't understand that so i went out and started shooting it on my own uh, and the catalyst to that was the House of Blues opened in L.A. at the time. They were about to open. And I, I was invited to, to a preview uh, there one day to go and see the place. And I realized immediately that all these people that I was in, interested in photographing were going to be coming literally uh, you know, a block from my, two, three blocks from my studio. And that this was the opportunity I was looking for. So I presented some work to the director at the House of Blues. And I said, look, I want a studio in your building. And in exchange for access, I will... Uh, give you a set of prints to exhibit. And, uh, you know, we kind of came to terms. His name was uh, Nigel Shanley, and he, he had once been a photographer, in fact. So he understood what I was showing him, and he said, you got whatever you want. I can't give you a studio, but you can come and set up and tear it down every time you want. And it was an amazing opportunity. So for the first couple of years, I went very often over there in the evenings and set everything up, and we would present the work to the artist before they went on, and they would either say yes or no. And if they said no, I'd stay for the show, pack my stuff up and leave. And this was, you know, me with an assistant with a whole bunch of gear with, with you know, C-stands and sandbags and, you know, duvetines and lights and the whole bit. And uh, so it, it evolved, you know, it evolved. And we did, uh, I think my first 30 portraits in that series, State of the Blues, were made that way. And then I started to realize that, to my kind of great surprise, that I was going to be able to get my arms around this whole genre because had i chosen pop music or jazz for example it's too infinite there's a million people involved but this was something i could actually probably photograph 95 or 100 percent of all of the living legends of blues if i really put my mind to it and for some reason no one else was doing this and no one else had done it um there had been books of pictures of blues musicians but they were always sort of in my mind uh kind of uh, cliche images of the blues guy with his guitar or his harmonica holding it, looking at the camera, or, you know, or they were always like press pictures. They never, or they were backstage guys drinking beer, sitting around with guitars. I mean, I never really saw what I wanted to do. And, uh, and, and so I was able to do it. And, you know, then we started branching out and going to festivals across the country and going to blues musicians' homes and setting up in their garages and, you know, going renting hotel ballrooms and getting guys to come by. And we went and shot in Chicago. We went and shot in, you know, Gary, Indiana, Memphis, Tennessee, and all through Mississippi. And then I started realizing that it wasn't complete that way. I really needed to tell their story better. So I started photographing in a documentary mode uh, all of the uh, the places that they were born, you know, try to give a feel for why they had the blues and what was driving them out of the place that they grew up in and what, what that oppressive environment was like. Uh, you know, these young musicians, these white guys that play Johnny, I mean, uh, you know, Johnny Lang and these other guys, I have no problem with them, but they don't have any of the uh, impetus to play blues. They're just copying stuff they've hear, heard, you know. So in other words, it's like me saying, I want to go out and take pictures that look just like Helmut Newton or, you know, Richard Avedon. I'm just, I don't have their motivation. I don't have their connection with the subject. All I really am doing is copying what's on the surface. 
So it doesn't live. It doesn't have its own breath. It doesn't doesn't breathe. Uh, you know, and so I went out and did this whole documentary series over a few years, traveling around in an airstream to do that, and uh, and then ultimately uh, had two of the components that made that book up. And then I realized it still wasn't complete because it lacked their voice. And what I really want, and I don't mean their musical voice, I did lack their story and in an oral history context. So I went back and interviewed 20 of the most important of these guys, the real seminal ones out of that book that I felt were vital to the story, you know? Um, and, um, and that's how, you know, that book came about. So when I, when I presented that to Aperture, they, they unanimously, uh, you know, agreed to want to publish this book and they pretty much gave me, uh, uh the option, I, I guess they, you could say that they gave me a lot of freedom with respect to how the book was going to get done. I worked with a really talented designer named Michelle Dunn on that project and a great editor named Michael Sands. And, you know, we had our, our battles. And uh, what came out of that was pretty much, I think, a book that really holds up. And, uh, you know, uh, you could call it a photo book, but it also has a much wider audience, obviously, because of its context, the theme and the content. And that book uh, had sold over 90,000 copies. Well, there's Pretty some important. wonderful images from that book. But an, another pr project I wanted to talk to you on is the garden series that you did, which, you know, people familiar with your other work might be a little surprised at. Um, well, tonight, if you make it to this show uh, or for the next six weeks at the uh, Duncan Miller Gallery, you're going to see 50-inch prints from that series, panoramics that are 50 inches wide, really quite extraordinary. Uh, that, that again was something I backed into, you know, uh, to be frank, my, my wife is a landscape, a well, well-known garden designer, um, named Laura Morton. And she has, uh, uh, she's had quite a lot of success designing very unique spaces for a lot of different people. And when we uh, would go to Europe every year together, you know, she was always caught up in the whole photo realm with me. We would go to Arles to the festival. We were in Paris with all my friends are all photographers, you know, and, and we would spend our time going to photo galleries and museums. And she at one point said, you know, this year we're going to go visit gardens, man. That's what we're going to do. And uh, she had this whole itinerary of gardens she wanted to visit that were remarkable Renaissance and Baroque gardens in Italy and, uh, and, and in Spain. And I said, yeah, that's okay. Well, you know, you're fair is fair. I'll go with you and we'll do that. So we did. And then I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to either be sitting in the car, bored to tears, ready to blow my brains out, or I'm going to find something uh, that I can get into and share this experience with my wife. And uh, so I brought along a panoramic camera and I started photographing these gardens in black and white and panoramics. And, um, it got to the point where I was, uh, you know, doing a lot of internet research and insisting that we go see more gardens when she was saying, no, enough, I've seen enough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I dragged her around to a bunch of other gardens and stuff. But, uh, but uh, it, it, and I was looking for something in those gardens that I hadn't seen in any photography relating to gardens, meaning I didn't want to do it in color. I wasn't interested in the overall design or an overview of anything to do with it. What I was looking for was some kind of mysterious uh, uh feeling that I get when I'm in these kinds of gardens, you know, overgrown or unkempt or a mysterious, uh, maybe a little scary, a little unusual, a little unsettling, you know. And I found that in these gardens, these Baroque and Renaissance gardens that had literally been planted four or five hundred years ago. Um, and so that, that series evolved that way. And uh, the funny thing was when I first finished the first set of prints on those projects, I kind of brought them along when I would go and show work to collectors or to museums, and systematically, these prints were selling. 
to people. And I was thinking, this is really interesting. And then it occurred to me that, you know, the other work that I'd done all my life were very specific things, you know. Uh, a, a nude is a very specific thing for a collector to own. Uh, you know, a portrait of a movie star certainly isn't, to me, something that most people want to put in their homes. Uh, they may want to collect it because it's a Jeff Dunas photograph, but if that's the case, you know, uh, it's, a, it, it's not the major motivation that I'm going to be selling a lot of prints from that series, whereas the garden work, everybody saw something in the garden work they could relate to. And I realized that that's at the crux of fine art photography. Uh, the kinds of pictures that people buy, fine art-wise, generally, they're either buying it because they, they fall in love with the image, and those images are generally ones that people can, can find their own truth in, um, you know, and or they're buying the photograph because they want to buy that photographer's work, and they want to say, I want to have a Jeff Dunas print in my collection. So there's two real reasons, and the garden work somehow seemed to be uh, accepted by a lot of the collectors that I deal with, and you know, and museums were acquiring that work. So it inspired me to go back and do more of it. And uh, in the last two years, I've spent quite a lot of time doing it, and it's quite quite interesting. You know, it's a solitary experience. I go into these places that are overlooked, that people haven't really aren't visiting, that people aren't really tending. And I sort of find things there that really speak uh, of the past, and uh, and those kinds of things interest me. You know, if you can translate that to a photograph, it's it's very it's very satisfying. Well, one of the other things that you've that are big part of your career and you and you're known for is the Palm Springs Photo Festival, which I attended for a day last year, which was amazing. the 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 amount of talent that you have concentrated in that small space, in that small city, is it's just phenomenal, um, and this year is, is no exception. Why don't you tell uh, our listeners uh, about it uh, and uh, what they can expect for, for uh, this year? Well, I'll tell you what. This is uh, the fifth anniversary of the Palm Springs Photo Festival. This one, uh, by this point, we've now branched out into three venues, um, and um, we have uh, built a program that where we anticipate about 700 to 750 photographers coming uh, to participate. It's, it's really going to be quite an extraordinary event. This year, there's over 20 workshops that we have uh, produced. And, um, and uh, there's a program of seminars where there's 20 seminars, in fact. Um, they go on all week. Uh, many of them, most of them are free. Uh, with your just a regular registration fee of $75 a day, you have access to two-thirds of our seminars. You have access to our evening presentations and our daily symposiums. Uh, it's, it's for photographers. It's built by photographers, and it is um, it touches all areas of our, our world. It, it, it's, I would say, a very even mix of fine art and commerce, which is basically, coincidentally, uh, how I've lived my life and what my career has been and is. It's, uh, I, I never really saw a distinction you know, between the two. I felt like I was making photographs, and I wanted to, I wanted to uh, make photographs that would be that would hold their own on a wall and that would also uh, impart meaning in a, in a printed context. And, and uh, this is what this festival is about. It's about fine art photographers coming to a festival to, to, to explore the commerce perspective, perhaps. Uh, also, the, the, the photographers coming at it from the commerce side who are looking at fine art as a, as a segue or as something that they should open a new, a new, a new uh, avenue in their work. It's, it's built like that. It's built for emerging photographers as well as photographers in their mid-career who are looking to move into a different area or looking to expand or maybe looking for a way that they can 
use photography in a more meaningful way, for example. Uh, and so we have an emphasis on, on advocacy. We, we address that in symposiums and in seminars. There's, uh, we, we try to teach people where they can get funding for personal projects, you know, uh, how, how they go about uh, creating a project and then, and then getting that project launched and how that project can, can be effective in affecting social change, for example. Um, those are really meaningful things for photographers in mid-career, I believe. You know, uh, I, I don't know that emerging photographers are looking at that perspective as much, but a guy who's had a successful 20- or 30-year run in, in the commerce end of it may, may say, I feel like I want to do something more meaningful. You know, I've made money, I have a house, I have cars, I have a studio, I've, you know, I'm doing advertising, I'm doing whatever I always dreamed of doing, but really, somewhere, I feel like I could do more. Uh, and uh, and make a bigger statement or yeah. and, and more important statement. And, and I think that I know from my experience and, I'm, and no doubt yours, the the work that tends to have the biggest impact is that body of work that is rooted in a real personal investment. I don't want to use the, the word passion because I think it's, it's sort of overused, but it's often inspired by something that the people are very interested in or very very excited or maybe even angry about and they say I want to use the camera to be able to say something more um, speak to that particularly in respect to the work the portfolios and such that you and the other photographers tend to see at the festival or elsewhere well I think it's it comes down to it comes down to a photographer working for somebody else or a photographer really fully engaged working for something they really believe in and really love and are really drawn to it's 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 natural that they're going to produce their best work, uh, given that they have the funding. Because one of the drawbacks about being a fine art photographer, if it's going to be a documentary in nature or somebody who's looking to affect social change in a body of work, is is without funding, it's not going to get there. And uh, once you have some funding in place, it can be and it should be the most um, the most the truest reflection of that person's. Uh, concerns and ability and emotions and and their intellectual input in their own work that they're gonna you're gonna see you know when you execute an assignment uh, you're solving problems you're solving problems for a client you're thinking about that client when you're doing stuff like this when you're actually on your own doing your own work which is what I've pretty much done in my career you 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 have to reach very deeply to find that motivation. Uh, it's real easy to say, yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. I'm not going to go out today. You know, it's a nice day. I'll sit by the beach, you know. But when you're really committed and you're engaged and you're excited by something and you're emotionally invested in it and uh, intellectually invested in it, there's no more satisfying thing than to create that body of work. So that's the truest reflection of that person as an artist that, that, that you're going to see. You know, I don't generally think you can really get a sense of who an artist is in his core by the work that they do in commerce. It's, you know, this is, this is more a reflection of their competence and their ability to solve problems and their ability to, to, uh, you know, to keep a, a commercial career afloat. And that's not to say that they're not engaged. Uh, they should be engaged and they need to be engaged if they're going to have any kind of style that you recognize and that uh, they really stand out, of course. But when it comes to personal work, you're really looking at the most important work that person's ever going to create. And when it comes to fruition, when it comes to a book or when it comes to an exhibition, but I think particularly a book, that's when you really see who this person is. That's when that person makes their mark um, to me. That's when you leave a lasting mark in photography where you've actually created a place for yourself. And uh, people recognize the work and they recognize that there's something in that body of work that they're drawn to and that they can't put their finger on why, but they know 
this is important work and it's meaningful to them. That's the key. That's the reward. Well, when, with, with difficult economic times as they are, um, a lot of photographers might second-guess themselves in that respect because they start looking at work and their work in terms of what they need to do in order to actually make a living, to bring in a, a paycheck. You know, how about that that struggle with photographers, particularly now um, between this, you know, the pull of creating a body of work and spending a lot of your energy and time producing work that will get you work, as opposed to those things that really serve your soul. Well, I mean, when you when you do personal work, you're creating tangible intellectual property that's you that you control that you own that that speaks about you and i think you 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 can uh i don't i don't think there's any more important work i I find that one of the things that i think drives the festival is that somewhere it's about that we're if, if you were to put it in a nutshell we're about about extending your your realm and and opening your eyes to new possibilities. And if you come down to this festival this year, I have 75 faculty this year. I have eight or 10 museum curators. I have eight or 10 gallery directors. I have eight or 10 ad agency uh, uh, art directors. There's editors and publishers from magazines across the scale, across the board. You're going to get exposed to uh, exemplary uh, work, you're going to see and meet people that can that that will really inspire you, and I guess you know I'm about inspiration here. I'm uh, the three buzzwords at the festival, so to speak, if you will, are inspiration, education, and technology. I think that sums it up. If you're if if you have if you're passionate about photography, this festival is going to be a place uh, you're going to love. You're going to you're going to want more than we can give you. You're going to go away after five days with your head in the clouds, and uh, that's our goal. It's about it's about re-engaging with photography and what it is about photography that initially grabbed you and, and has kept you uh, interested or hopefully has kept you interested a number of years, you know, in my case and in, in cases of photographers from their 30s to their 50s. And then these young photographers that are totally fired up and they really want to go out there and do their thing. This is what I never had as a kid. I never had a place to go where I could be mentored by 50 people. I never had a place to go where for eight day, five days and six nights I was going to be absorbed by photography with people of like mind. And um, uh, there really has never been anything like quite like this. And, um, and I think at the core of that is personal projects. In some way, this is really the core of this, because how do we define who we are in photography? It's real easy. We all learn the same technical aspects of photography, or we need to, or we should. Uh, some better than others, obviously. But uh, the ability to to express oneself and really have a point of view is is what we are about in this festival. And I think that's the that's the pinnacle of success as an artist, as a photographer, is to be able to have find your own voice, and express yourself, and have your ability to communicate with uh, with people, a lot of people. And um, and I think that if you if you look at the what we offer at this festival, it's it's nonstop. You know, it's day and night. It starts every morning at eight and it ends every my, every night between eleven and one a.m. And I figure you can sleep when you get home. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I'll provide uh, but, a link for that on the blog for people to check out. It's happening on March twenty eighth through April second. Um, exactly. But the last question I want to ask you is the question I always ask my guests, and mm-hmm. I want you to suggest one photographer that you want our, dis- our listeners to discover and explore for themselves, and who what, who might that be for you, and why? Wow, that's a huge, loaded question. 
um, you know, uh, I have so many photographers whose work I admire. Uh, it, it's one of the reasons I have a rather extensive book collection. You know, it's, geez, I mean, it, it, it all depends on what, what era, where, and when. I mean, I have so many uh, books that I really marvel at. What's, uh, the, what's the latest book that you've gotten? Maybe that'll help. Um, you know, the, the, I have a pretty interesting collection of books, but the, the vast majority of the books that I, I am out there looking at are books that were published prior to 1960. And, um, and so, uh, let me, let me give you an example. I'm going to look, uh, on my list here, just for example, what was my most recent book that I bought might've been, um, the books that you know the what I'll tell you one of the books there was a book of, of photographs of women that I always loved and this is not a very lofty um, you know uh, book it's not on in the pantheon of, of the Americans and Walker Evans books and so forth but there's a book by a guy called Wingate Payne and it was a book called the mirror Venus and I saw this book you know probably when I was 17 years old for the first time and it's it's I still think it's one of the greatest books it worked as a book. The, the, the flow was great. The layout and the design was really good. And the pictures were very interesting because he photographed women in the first person singular, which was a whole new approach. Uh, you know, they were looking at the camera relating to him, and it was very interesting. Black and white book of photographs. Um, unique, I have to say. And I recommend that, that if you can get a hold of a copy, you'll see, I think, what I mean. It's, it's unique. It's a special, it's a pretty special quality that he had and Wingate Payne went on to become sort of a, a kind of a guru at the end of the day and he abandoned photography uh, and had only produced to my knowledge this one incredible body of work which I think is true of a lot of photographers if you look back a lot of them peak with one body of work that is just uh, that shoots out into the atmosphere at such an incredible rate um, and you know it does so much for example Robert Frank I mean you know Robert Frank has so far had so many books published, but really one book defined his life, uh, much to his chagrin. I don't think he was too happy about that, but he always kind of played down the importance of the Americans in his world and his life and, uh, you know, moved into cinema and filmmaking where he never really had that success. And if you look at the Americans, it stands up today. It was a brilliant, stellar piece of work of a young man in his 20s. And I think frequently the best work you're going to see uh, in a lot of photographers and in a lot of artists maybe is work they do in their late 20s. For some reason, there's that everything is happening at that point. Um, and, and, and if you're going to break through and do something monumental, sometimes that's the period when you can do it. Don't know why. I don't know why it shouldn't happen for guys in their 60s and 70s if they're you know, as passionate about it as they've always been and they're really great and they should have really mastered things. I don't know uh, why that is, but I've noticed that to be the case often. And uh, you may agree. I think that if you look back, even you know, Walker Evans' work, again, this was a guy who put together his work in his early 30s that defined his life um, with American pictures, American photographs, for example. And, uh, uh, you know, Cartier-Bresson Cartier was probably in his 30s, uh, uh, mid-30s or... or I think pretty much in his mid thirties when he did the decisive moment. So isn't that interesting? You know, uh, I, I don't know whether that's depressing, but I find it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point to end on. Well, thanks again. Yeah. Wingate Payne. I mean, if you see that book, you'll see what really kind of inspired me as a very young man to, to uh, really connect with photographing women in a way that was unique and that drew on my own ability to connect with women and my own 
my own personality. And I think that's one thing I could say as a parting message. It's, it's your personality that defines the kinds of photographs that you're going to be able to make in your work. And uh, people ask me all the time, how do you create a style? And what is a style? And it's this intangible thing that confuses people. But it's actually not, it's very simple. It just comes from who you are, your personality, your interests, your own, the way you relate to the subject matter. It's, this is where it comes from. And uh, the rest of it you can learn, you know, but those are things that are unique to you that make your work unique. And uh, I find if the photographers whose work most impresses me are the ones where I can gain some insight into them, their personality, when I look at their work. I think that's probably universal. Thanks for joining us, and I welcome your comments and suggestions, which you can send to thecandidframe at gmail.com or by posting a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also join our community of photographers by joining us on Flickr, Facebook, or Twitter. Links to each can be found on the right-hand column of the blog. Till next time, this is Ibarian X. Pirello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com